0: Straight out of the heart of Texas, here come the Students of Conflict, helping you become a better Malifaux player and reach the top of the podium, one game at a time.
1: Alright, everybody, welcome to Students of Conflict. We are Clay and Doug.
0: Hello! (laughs) Hey!
1: (laughs) And we are going to try to become better Malifaux players. We want to level up ourselves and hopefully level others up as well. We generally do that by interviewing top third players from the Lone Star Conference playing in Malifaux tournaments across the U.S. We don't try to capture their entire tournament journey. We just want to take an in-depth look at a single game and then dive into the key decisions that they made before the game, during the game. And now that they're looking back at the game, uh, what were the things that they learned that they can pass on to others? Tonight, though, we've got a special treat. First, we're gonna talk with Christian. Hey, everybody. Who came in second at the May Malifaux Monthly Tournament held in Houston on 13 May. And we're gonna be releasing our discussion with him as episode seven. Then we're gonna speak with Brian. Yo. And anyone who's ever played against Brian knows that he's got very solid card management skills and has been very successful with crews that can leverage that. Way back in episode two, he offered to do an episode with us where we could really dive into that topic. And tonight, we're finally taking him up on that offer. Though it won't be one of our usual Better Malifaux, one game at a time kind of episodes, we're really looking forward to releasing that one as episode eight. So... Brian, we are super glad you're here. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. Uh, I have been waiting for this a long time. I'm looking forward to learning a ton about card management from you. So um, I'm gonna—you are not a first time guest. Uh, welcome back. And uh, Thank you. so Thank we're you. not gonna ask you a ton of history, but I do want to hit the icebreaker question for this episode. Um, and it's how do you break the ice when you're playing a game with somebody? And it's especially if you're somebody that you don't really know.
2: Oh, I mean, I really don't. This is sort of a hard. Qu- a bad question for me because it's just okay. like hey man what's going on I'm brian nice to meet you blah, blah blah uh you know i'm featured on students of conflict quite often so <laughs> um you know good luck have fun i feel nah. bad for you i i i'm the owner of the biggest hat yeah which which is actually back there you can see it oh
0: look out oh, okay i mean
1: yeah. So that is actually a great opportunity for us to go ahead and uh, we will ask for plugs later, I know. But, uh, but tell us about this biggest hat thing, Doug.
0: So it's a big hat.
2: There you go. Thank you so much. It's a giant foam hat. It's a giant foam hat. That Doug hat. gave me for being good.
3: <laughs>
2: I did not give that to
0: you.
3: You earned
0: that. Thank you.
3: Yeah. yeah, he bullied me, everybody, in the parking lot. I was in the running, and then, you know, he mugged me. Yeah,
0: yeah. But so so the biggest hat is the, you know, ultimate champion's trophy of the uh, Lone Star Foe Down GT. Our little logos. this little, you know, gremlin has got, you know, a big old Texas belt buckle is wearing a big-ass hat. And so we decided, hey, who's got the biggest hats? That is the uh, tagline for the Lone Star photo So, and we'll talk about that later.
1: Yep, there you go. So, defending champion, right there. So, yes. already. So, in a normal episode of Student of Conflict, uh, listeners that have been listening to us, a thank you, um, and then also normally we would have a section here that's kind of before a tournament even starts, um, and we would focus on your thought processes, Brian, uh, about the faction you're playing in, like master selection for a particular scheme pool. Um, but for this episode, we still want to hear your thoughts about Master Selection, but we want to focus it on card mechanics and in, in card management. And so um, could you just kind of talk to us kind of broadly on, on what makes card mechanics so powerful in this game and then what kind of card manipulation should we be looking for in Masters or do you gravitate towards in Masters?
2: Yeah, I mean, so in my mind, card mechanics are probably the most important part of Malifo and it gets overlooked all the time because there's so many things to learn. We're looking at these cool tarot cards, have all these abilities and all these really awesome models that look around the table. And you go, okay, I flipped some some cards. It's a poker deck of cards, whatever. You know, that's just how we do something set dice, not a big deal. But the cards determine everything. They determine if you're scoring, they determine if you're making your hits, they determine where you're going. Um card mechanics drive every decision in Malifaux, or they should be, right? Because you need to have, you need to hit your TNs, you need to outflip your opponent, you need to understand where your hand strength is at, you need to understand where your opponent's hand strength is at. And overall, what you're looking for is you want... Sorry, I almost went on a tangent. I'm trying to stop myself from going on a tangent. <laughs> no worries. Um, so moving forward, because if card mechanics is extremely important to this game, Because of the amount of things that it can impact whether you win or lose this game, right? Um, And so when we're talking about master selection, there are a couple different ways that we can look for card mechanics on masters or on keywords as a whole, right? Uh, When I talk about a card mechanic master, what is your first thought?
1: Uh, I'm thinking either draw or cycling. Like, I'm, draw I'm or cycling. looking for one of those, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's number one everyone thinks is, does this draw cards or does it cycle cards? And that is one aspect of card mechanics. You also have, do I get positive flips? Do I force negative flips? Do I do terrifying where I force card flips before you can even take an action against me? Um, And there, there's a lot of little nuances Throughout the game where card mechanics become important when you're choosing a master or a keyword. So uh let's look at um I want to say Jack Dahl, but he has the best of everything, so I'm not he can't talk about him. Um I mean he's got card draw and terrifying, so whatever. Yeah. Uh and discard like, effects too. Kind of like anti-card card draw.
1: You know, oh yeah. yeah, like
2: Jack Dahl is my favorite master to play, hands down, because of the amount of hand manipulation that goes into him as a master um unfortunately he's just a negative play experience for everyone else so i just don't play him as much okay and so
1: that actually kind of and and this is going to be a tangent and and i'm sure that we'll have others but so okay because you're you're very well known for playing von stück very very well who's got like some front of card card draw ability and some really interesting card mechanics but why yeah, why why is Daw more your favorite to play as opposed to Von Stuck? Just looking at those particular two examples. Can you talk about those two?
2: Yeah. So I mean, okay, my my three primary masters because card mechanics as a whole is von Stuck, as you mentioned, Jack Daw, and then Reva, which everyone goes, oh my god, Reva, and that's an entirely different tangent I won't go into. Okay. Um But you're asking about the why is Jack Daw better to me than Von Stuck in terms of card mechanics and card manipulation. And it's because of the way the card interacts. Uh, It's the way that the cards are interacting with the game state. So, Von Stuck draws cards, card cycles. You know, if we tie suits, you apply pressure to your opponent by trying to tie suits and force them to make decisions of giving you cards, right? Or you're cheating in low cards specifically just to cycle a card. Um, And that's great, it makes Von Stuck very powerful. Uh, he's my best master I play uh, and he's probably one of the best masters in the game currently uh, because of that mechanic. But what makes Jackdaw more enjoyable to me is that not only am I drawing cards throughout the game, right? I'm hitting you because you have my upgrades or I give you an upgrade that makes your life harder and I punch you again and I draw a card and i'm I'm giddy but I'm also forcing you to discard your hand. Which pressures you into thinking, into deciding which cards to get rid of. Uh, I am um, making you go, well, my hand size is six, but realistically it's only two or three because I'm gonna discard three cards this round, right? Or I need to burn all my cards early in order to try to not discard cards, right? Uh, But then you also have terrifying across most of the crew. So you need cards to cheat through the terrifying to hit my models, which I'm then going to make you discard. And you tie all that back into uh, what Jackdaw 1 and my Tresser have, which is execute, where if you don't have cards in hand, i just kill you. Just take a crow trigger and discard a soul stone or die. Get off my table, right? Um, And so something that I really enjoy is first activation with Jackdaw is you hit someone three times First activation and they have no cards for the rest of the turn because you you burn all three you burn three cards from his main melee attack and then you hit execute trigger three times and they're they're dead for the rest of the game like it's a horrible time for them and uh the amount i just love applying pressure to my opponents as much as possible and seeing how far i can Squeeze them uh, until they get too frustrated and start making mistakes. And Jackdaw is perfect for that type of gameplay because of all the different interactions with his card mechanics.
1: Okay, so yeah, so that in that case, it's the kind of the yeah, even better than drawing for yourself. It's forcing the discards from from your opponent. It works really, really good for your play style. Uh, yeah, my
2: my play style is very that- pressure oriented, where it's very um. I'm going to make you decide on bad decisions every step of the way, and I'm going to keep making you make these decisions until you get so frustrated that you'll start making more and more mistakes that I can capitalize on later." OK,
1: and so I love that that kind of pressure theme and thinking about putting pressure on an opponent through cards, either because you've got better cards or they have worse or no cards. I'm I'm going to yeah. try to kind of keep that theme rolling as we go as we go forward. And yeah. so. Uh, so, OK, uh, are there any card mechanics that uh, and I'm looking across the, the Internet here at, uh, at Doug and Christian, uh, any card mechanics that you particularly love that we haven't talked about yet that we need to to take this approach a moment to talk on?
3: Uh, I really like uh, I really like Execute. I think that it's not... I don't think it's OP, but I think it's very good. It, I think it's just in general really good because, like he said, it's deciding between cards and uh, Soulstones. And when you're stealing Soulstones, it hurts. It hurts bad. When you're getting hit with an Execute trigger and it keeps happening and you have to discard, like Jinx, uh, you know, the Jinx uh, from Sammy... She has that drain magic trigger, that hurts when they're cycling their hand. They just they draw a card and discard a card while you have to discard a card, or blank stare where you mm-hmm. both discard a card and they're getting stole stuff like that. Those mechanics are nasty, and it's not when it happens once; it's when they're doing it two, three AP, and you're like, "Okay, guy, you you're gonna need to you need to leave,"
2: <laughs> right? And and like that—that's the thing, right? If you do it once, you. It's okay. I might discard my one, two, or three. Not a big deal. Uh, which, I mean, I'm all for you pitching those that one, two, or three, because that goes back into your deck for next round, and you can flip that later. Um, but when you can hit someone with that three times in a turn, and like I was saying, you know, when your six-card hand turns into three cards... it it becomes an entirely different game.
3: It's bad, though, when you pull that four, like, four really good cards, like a 10 and a two 13s and 11, and they hit you with that three times, and you're like, you see that 10 hit the dirt, you're like, oh, this man has got some, he's got sauce in his hand. Yeah, (laughs) that is a a
1: great piece, too, where, and I want to circle back on kind of a particular thing on, like, managing your hand when you're under that kind of pressure. And so, yeah, hold that thought, Christian, because we will definitely come back to that. Um, yeah. that is, because that is super powerful. Um, and and it's useful, I think, I, I, it's going to be useful, I think, for for me, as well as for our listeners, hopefully, uh, to talk through that a little bit.
0: And I think something that uh, Brian mentioned that is an underrated or often overlooked uh part of hand management at least from a defensive perspective is terrifying because having you know lots of terrifying in your crew generally terrifying is you know 11 or 12s i think there's a few that are 10 but honestly that means most of the time average models are needing a 6 or a 7 to pass these terrifying which you know the average card in the deck is a 7 now they might top deck it there but if they're not top decking it, what they've got in their hand, it's sort of the, well, it's burning their hand down. And there's only so many times they can cheat that to get something off. And it's really nice when you have a crew that not only so like um the dreamer makes me think of this of the hey, not only do you have to pass this terrifying duel, if you fail this terrifying duel, well then boom, we're all getting the benefit of healing off of it. And having that uh, things that synergize with them making that tough decision is the do I burn this thing I don't want to or do I help my enemy? That really pressures the hand.
2: Um, And something to continue on that with terrifying, uh, because it's something we have not talked about or have not brought up in the last 10 minutes is uh, simple duels. Simple duels are a great way to pressure your opponent's hand and something to look for when you're looking at crews. Because if I if you have to flip six T and 13 willpower duels in a turn, you're going to fail 60% of those. And it might only be one or two damage, but that slowly stacks up. Uh, and this comes back to why like Reva one is because if she can just um, make our power marks explode, uh, you take a... I think it's ten and fourteen willpower duel, or take one damage, injured one, and she can hit that with her uh, trigger six times in activation. So if someone clumps up too much, you can just force eighteen willpower, eighteen duels, or willpower fourteen duels on these six models and just destroy them in an activation. It's... Yeah.
1: Well, and it's 14 for the first one, and then they get the injured on them. Right. and then it, So then it's... Yeah, now it's effectively a TN15, and, and they're just like, ah, you know, do I cheat now or later? Yeah. I'm screwed either way. And yeah.
0: that, that uh, reminds me of a game I played against uh, Christian that uh, I think Wong won's kind of a sleeper pick on the mm-hmm. simple duels, because with his Vizap, he's like, boom, drop this shockwave marker there first off he's got the cataclysm marker he's dropping it he's hitting a whole bunch of models with this now that's all a bunch of move 13 duels now like you said move 13 that is taking a seven or eight for a lot of models and if you pass them you get glowy and if you then later fail it You take damage equal to your glowy. So it's you're racking it up. You're racking it up. And it feels bad to go, oh, man, I don't want to fail this, but I'm going to take five extra damage from this. I don't want to burn this 13. I was saving that for, you know, a special occasion. But that special occasion might be not taking a fuck ton of damage.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, yep,
0: it, yep. it never feels good to use such a high card on the defense yep
2: well especially for a simple duel where you are not even trying to go above your opponent's flip you're just if i don't see do the same my master dies
0: yeah
1: yeah how do you balance that out and and going back to brian on and the simple duels absolutely powerful and like statistically they're awesome but this is where like you know uh, luck happens you know and so you know there's sometimes where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Wong winning you and I'm zapping you like mad or you're revving someone like mad and, and they pass them all. And not like with a bunch of 13s and 12s and a red Joker that they pass them, you know, they're passing them with just enough. <laughs> yeah. Their top deck happens to be air quotes lucky at that point. Cause they get Those the sixes or and the sevens that they need. Yeah. And you're just like, well, that was my master's activation, you know, and I did flat nothing. You know, and so statistically, I know that was a master's activation, and I would have. You know, how does how do you balance that out, or or where do you put those kind of effects in your grand tier of like, you know, discard is maybe your most powerful. You know, and I, and I'm not asking for a specific list of card mechanics <laughs> in order of coolness, but where would you put the simple dual ones in that so, list? Ish.
2: <laughs> one of the biggest benefits of simple duels that I really enjoy is let you know terrifying simple duels whatever yeah let's let's say you know i'm terrifying 12 my opponent needs a seven to hit it they flip an eight uh i'm perfectly okay with that scenario i am happy if they fail it i'm happy if they pass it because if they pass it that that card is not hitting me and if they flip another card that's no longer that eight that could be a lower card Uh, If your opponent flips like a god and hits all those duels during your master activation, it's not great. You know, you're frustrated. It hurts. But, that all those cards are no longer in their deck to be used against you, and you know their deck is now going to be cold in a lot of cases. Right? Because if that means that all their weeks are left in their deck, or the weeks are in their hand, and it means that, hey, the your next activation, you send your beater in because they're going to flip horribly and you can just go to town. Um, And so that's where I don't necessarily say we count that count cards, but trying to keep track of if your opponent's deck is hot or cold is also very important. Uh, Like, Oh yes, absolutely. They flipped four severe's in the last two activations. That's horrible. Well, guess what? Those those severs are gone. You can go back in there later and do more damage. Now that doesn't apply to someone like Masaki who just reshuffles their severs back in. Yeah, but that's a whole different matter.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, totally good point. So,
2: okay, I uh, wanted to shift on to a couple other mechanics.
1: We had some questions coming out of the Discord that uh, Ben Jewels had asked about um, the weaknesses of kind of the cycling mechanics you end up with you could cycle a bunch of, of low cards out you've got a hand your control hand is nothing but severes you know or certainly high cards um and so yeah you have your your hands on fire uh, where do you place that you know it's great but yeah like you're saying you're not gonna f- top deck those ever and so yeah what, what do you think about cycling versus draw maybe is the best way to ask this question
2: um, Draw is definitely better than cycling in a lot of cases. Uh, they both have their different places. Uh, I much prefer draw personally. And to this question in particular, stacking your hand or having nothing but severes in your hand is horrible. It's To me, that is a worse hand than a balanced over average hand. Because you're going to get one great godlike activation and then the rest of the round is gonna be awful for you so let, let's say that you you draw your hand you cycle whatever you've got red joker 13 13 12 11 10 right what this means is that when you try to do simple duels you're going to miss a lot of them and you're going to cheat those really strong cards into something where you need a four or a five to go off uh, you also run into the scenario where so it makes you discard a card. You have to get rid of that severe out of your hand. Or you say, hey, let me dive on your master. I'm going to pitch all these cards because I want to kill your master. You'll likely not kill him. You'll do a bunch of damage but you won't kill him. And then you're dead-handed for the rest of the round. You don't have anything. Um, in, in my opinion, I would much rather have something like a 3 7 Eight, uh, seven, eight, ten, thirteen is like what I would prefer as a natural hand because you have a lot more flexibility with that, which means that there's a lot less instances of where pressure, w- hand pressure is gonna cause you a horrible time.
3: I agree a lot with that, actually. That's a really like, that's if you get insane cards, you are out of luck later like yeah sure maybe you get some good defense points but tech wise it's like especially with those simple duels you're doomed
2: Uh, I mean what if someone hits your master and they flip a seven you flip a two and they're like you're like well I've got to give up a 13 to stop this middling attack you know it's it feels bad giving and then the attacker
3: still has the advantage because even if you defend with that the attacker can still get through even if they match you or they get above you and then yeah. that 13 was wasted technically
2: yeah it's a strong a strong hand like all severs or top level mids with all spheres is generally a bad hand because it limits your options severely in, yeah, in my great. opinion you know that's not fact or anything it's just it's what i've found um with all my card draw crews i play uh, my cycling cruise, I play. It's you, you want a good average.
1: No, that's cool. No, thank you. That uh, I want to combine. We had uh, uh, within our Discord, and again, for listeners, uh, the invite to our Discord will is normally in our show notes at the very top, but we will absolutely make sure we got that uh, in this one. Uh, please join us and you can ask questions too. Um, I had some questions from, uh, from pk 768 uh, That's Pete uh, from Rage Quit Wire. And I will tell you that if you're listening to this and you're not subscribed to Rage Quit Wire, you should pause this uh, recording right now, go over, find Rage Quit Wire, uh, either their YouTube channel or their podcast, and uh, and subscribe to them, and then come back to this one, please. But uh, but seriously, question from from him and and also a question from Musab ties together, and it's what do we do if we're playing a crew that doesn't really have great. Um, Great card draw or card cycling or card mechanics of, you know, it's, we really like whatever crew, or it happens to be the crew that we bought in before we, we heard this episode or whatever. And we're, we're playing that. What do we need to look for? How do we deal with that? And, and we may go through this later in the episode too, but just in general, as we're talking about just a general concept of what do you do if you're air quote stuck with a master that doesn't have a ton of great card mechanics?
2: Uh, so. Uh I would say to start that off is get a new master. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, so there are ways to mitigate <clears throat> having no card draw with your master or having card cycling. You know, masters that have inherent positive flips uh are are always gonna be good because you're flipping more cards raises your average card numbers, right? Uh, masters that force negative flips, um, like with Serene Continents on Dreamer and such. Although Dreamer's a bad example because he's just amazing. Um, but ways that impact the flips are what you're going to want to be looking for, right? Uh, where either plus flips, like, uh, Tony Ironsides, which I mean, I wouldn't say she's great, but her crew has a lot of plus flips. Um, which is going to be really good. You know, Reva 1 has a lot of plus flips. Uh, Sonya 2 has a lot of plus flips. And so ways to get additional flips gives you more value out of your actions if you don't have the cards in hand. Now, if you're trying to play a master that doesn't have card mechanics of any kind and they still have some high TNs, all you can do is stone and hope for the best. Which is not bad. Just
1: like, yeah, you just need to take lots of stones. You know, build your crews to where, you know, that's how you mitigate that.
2: Or to hire out a keyword. Yeah. I mean, that That's a thing.
0: Would you say that a crew that gives out a lot of focus is a great way to kind of manage your hand if you don't have that card draw card
2: cycling? Yes, because that is adding plus flips. So a good example of that is Perdita 1. I know Perdita 2 is top shit, and she's probably the second best match in the game. Uh, But before she came out, I enjoyed Perdita 1 extensively because of all the focus that came into her crew. And you could blow through uh, card flips because those plus flips were just everywhere in her crew. So any way that you can get positive flips... Uh, or even, uh, let's say, um, I can't remember his name. the The monk master, uh, Sh- Shenlong. 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 Shen- yeah. yeah. So Shenlong, where he can just spend a token to add two to his duels, right? Or spend cheetahs to add plus yeah. two to his duels. That mechanic is not necessarily a card mechanic, but it is a mechanic that helps helps him because he doesn't have a lot of card draw on his crew. And so you can look for small things like that that can help adjust your average to be a little bit better.
0: Well, he does have a lot of card draw in his crew now, but yeah, that's I'm talking, you know, yeah, he, yeah, that's that's uh fucking Koji uh, protection money.
3: Uh, I think though that it's not like you you're all out and you can't just play masters that don't have great card draw. There's like there's still plenty of masters that get away with not having a lot of card draw, uh, like Travis he plays uh masaki even though masaki herself has one really good ma- stacking mechanic uh i i play 12 cups of coffee into it and stop it and he still rolls me no problem and uh he he's just you know just game knowledge may actually get you there too but yeah
2: i mean travis is a different beast though i mean travis I know. Is, <laughs> he's it, a is robot a god tier of this game but but you're right they're the masters that don't Generally, I'm not going to say every single one of them because there are some bad masters in this game, but masters that do not have card mechanics or crews that don't have card mechanics typically have something else that they excel at, which tries to balance things out.
1: Yeah, they can scheme like a maniac, so they don't even need to, you know, do
2: (laughs) they're never flipping
1: like screw right. flipping. I'm just going to go score and not flip every anything ever, you know. Or, or
2: maybe uh, they give you distracted. If they give if maybe their main mechanic is they give their opponent distracted, that's their way of giving negative flips. That's how they counter not having a card advantage. Uh Sonia Crid, uh Sonia 1 is the big one where she has a zero card draw and she's horrible on the table, but she has an ability which reduces her opponent's ranges based off their burning value. Which compensates for having bad cards because your opponent can't shoot you anyway. So who cares yeah. about cards?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if we can't do anything <laughs> we're we're uh... <laughs> Yep, exactly.
0: They can't push the button if they can't move their hand.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so but I I like the idea of just kind of thinking of of yeah, it's not hopeless. Yeah, certainly choosing a master that's all about card draw is a, is an option. But there's I, I love how how we've talked about how there's just a ton of different mechanics and ways just think about yeah how to get as good a card flip as possible and if that's the cards in your hand or if that's the cards in your deck because you're able to to get rid of bad ones or if it's just because we don't even care about flipping anymore yeah because we're doing nothing but scheming we've got options to do that but, but think about the cards even before you get to a tournament, <laughs> and yes. so I love that. So, anything else? Um, anybody got any other thoughts or, or comments on kind of this section? But bef- you know, kind of that master selection before we even get to a table sort of sort of discussion.
2: I, I would say something to add is when your opponent is choosing a master, and you know, your your masters, you should definitely be looking at them and see what kind of card mechanics they have. Because that's going to help your gameplay and help your decision-making a lot more. Do they have Terrifying? Do they have Plus Flips? Do they draw cards? Do they have have Maxine, cards? concede. <laughs> Are they Maxine, who can just do her nonsense with all the reconfiguration ability nonsense that she does? You, all
3: get, you only got ones, No problem. Now you have 15 <laughs> stats on everyone. Well, this yep. is
2: <laughs> But But looking at what your opponent's card mechanics will help you make better decisions during crew selection. So you know what you're walking into because the last thing that you want to do is walk into Jackdaw with zero card draw of any kind and zero ruthless. If you do that, you might as well concede the game. Yeah. There's no point Wait, playing it out.
1: That's a great point. And so, yeah, just as we kind of shift from before the tournament to before the game, yeah, master declarations happen and we're thinking about list building. Um, yeah bring ruthless if you're facing terrifying okay got it you know check but yeah other other thoughts along that kind of line things that that you think of either you personally or that just our audience in general should think of um when you're after master declaration happens and and you're like what what kind of things have they got for card mechanics and what do i need to do to to continue to put pressure on them despite that
2: uh, yeah, I mean, things like looking for simple duels are going to help a lot, knowing, you know, oh my god, are they running McCabe? I mean, McCabe can cause a bunch of simple duels, which causes problems. Um, just going through your opponent's options is going to help you understand what's coming your way. For example, did did Christian declare Wong into me? Yes? Okay. Do not clump up during deployment. If you clump up during deployment, you're going to get blasted three times every single round and you'll be flipping a bunch of duels, right? Uh, so it's very important to look at what your opponent's crew is, your, your opponent's master's keyword is going to bring to the table because are they going to be applying so much pressure to you that you need to reach outside the box, uh, with evasive to try to avoid blasts and try to avoid our um, pulses and such? Do you need to reach for ruthless? Do you... We have so many tools in all of these factions other than Neverborn, I think, is the one that's like the worst one with trying to have tools. But most factions have tools which allow them to deal with a lot of these problems and other uh, in, in other keywords and factions. Uh, and I only threw that Neverborn in there, just to make fun of Andre cuz he always says that they have nothing. So, there you go. No, that's awesome. I mean, we
0: got we got card draw if you use ancient pact.
2: Which is true. Yeah, and and can
1: ignore red jokers or or red flip red black black jokers. Red, red flip yeah, blacks. ignore blacks. Yeah, for sure. So, uh which is which is important. So I like the concept of yeah, thinking about card mechanics of your opposing crew uh when you're facing and when you're list building. Um you know, we we have a a tiny amount of time between games. So you're in a tournament setting and and you've got the 15 minutes to break down, set up, figure out your crew, you know. uh, Where do you prioritize or what kind of questions do you ask an opponent? You know, you've got a ton of experience, five years or so of experience at the game. And so it's like, but yeah, if it's something less than that, you know, because I'm always asking, you know, I'm I'm here as this bottom third player, got it. Um, you know, who, are, <laughs> what are your min three beaters? You know, I'm either asking or I'm looking at their cards to figure that out. I'm figuring out like what kind of their threat range is on their range things, and then I'm developing a game plan. Even if I'm, even if I don't have the perfect tech pick in my kit, I'm I'm still thinking about game plan, and so I'm thinking about you know i i need to either be prepared to engage or avoid the the min three beaters and i need to either be prepared to to defeat or avoid their whatever dangerous guns they ranged attacks they've got Mm -hmm. what kind of questions should i be asking or thinking about in with card mechanics in mind and is there a priority list if i've only got five minutes to figure out my crew and figure out what i'm doing where do what's 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 the big impact things
2: so so ruthless you don't really need to ask because you should just be able to see that right that's yeah. a simple thing to see yeah uh the big ones i typically ask is do you have shockwaves? do you okay. have pulses because those are the two indicators that will tell me am i taking a bunch of simple duels this game yeah uh that's gonna be really good or you know hey how do you draw cards do you do you draw cards and if I was playing Von Stoke and someone asked me, i go, well, if we tie suits, I'll draw a card in every duel. And me saying that, well, for a newer player, they likely won't really register that. They'll go, okay, that sounds cool. I'll see it when I see it. And then once they see it, they go, oh, that's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> but a- asking you up front will help you get understanding what's coming your way. And hopefully you're not playing someone who's going to lie or be shady, right? We shall be playing open face of hey, uh here is the capabilities of my crew. This I may or may not hit you with this. I may or not throw three or six long balls at you. Yeah. But I might. It's in it's in my cards.
1: Yeah. I could. So so yeah. So you probably so based on that, I might not want to bunch up when I deploy. Yeah, right. exactly.
2: <laughs> that, that's why I always ask for shockwaves and Aras. Uh I'm sorry, Shockwaves Impulses because it determines if I deploy clumped or not. uh that is probably my number one question, even going in with as much experience as I have.
3: See, that's something I should be doing. I get kinda uh lazy, to be honest, when it begins at the beginning of the game. Like I I'm I'm a head scratcher type of guy. I just like look at my hand and just kind of figure out what I can do with them. But I never really think about what my opponent's crew does. And I think that's what sets me back a lot of times. Like, you know, and, and I just tend to like to learn the hard lessons, uh, but that's personal. And that's also cause I'm lazy. So well,
0: that, that's the next step
2: for you. Yeah.
3: True. True. That is very true. Uh, too many hard lessons.
2: <laughs> I mean, that, that's how I learned. I, I just got my teeth kicked in constantly. That's my favorite way to learn. Per- You're honestly. welcome.
3: Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it's true. <laughs> so we are living that dream, and and it's good that uh, we've talked about that before a lot. Texas Meta is you will absolutely get your teeth uh, kicked in, but you will absolutely learn a lot. Everyone's super good about talking afterwards, uh, given a few minutes to be able to chat through stuff and uh, and 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 help you internalize those lessons. So uh, it is awesome. So cool. Um, any other thoughts from anybody? Um kind of before the start of the game and list building thoughts that we should be thinking about?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I think he pretty much covered most of it. I would just add, I guess I would add on to the fact that uh, because like I played, like I'll sit on a crew whenever I'm learning a crew, like I played, I almost got 50 games of Yulix. I lost a lot. So like it was when I first started playing, all I did was only play Yulix. And pretty much the very first thing I thought about was like, what, if, where is my hand going? Like the, before the game is just immediately, okay, I have these two high cards. Those are going to be war pigs. Uh, what am I, you know, that's what I did. And then I would decide further that I was like, okay, then the rest of these cards are discarding to prevent damage to my pigs or, you know. And I didn't really think too hard on it, but I think that's normally what my deciding factors are is just like, okay, uh, if I'm playing the kill crew, you know, someone that can really hurt people. Like when I was playing Sheamus McMorning, it was like, okay, these two high cards, this is going to take somebody out. That, that was the only yeah. thing that I ever thought. But I didn't really go further into that. I think that Brian's thought is a lot better. It's like knowing what you're getting into is pretty is pretty smart. I, I should probably take that for later.
2: <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I definitely am. That's why we're doing
3: this.
0: Well, and I think that comes down to also um, what I think one of the best, um, most powerful upgrades in the game is for resers. The Whisper.
2: Yep. Yes. Where they've got intuition. Intuition is the best ability in this game.
0: Now you need to be able to know, right, you look at those cards and go, okay, what order am I putting these in? And what do I have in my hand to know, okay, like I got, you know, a big card, a shit card, and a mediocre card. You know, because let's be honest, that's what the average, you draw three cards, you're going to probably, you know, on average, have a good one. Have a shit one, have a mediocre one. And knowing the order to put them back in, that's the harder lesson to learn. But knowing, hey, okay, I want to fail this duel. So I'm going to flip this one where it's going to burn that card and I'm going to cheat that. And then I'm going to have these cards for these other things. But knowing what those first three cards are, for your master, let you plan out that turn to go, okay, there's nothing they can do about this. I'm going to get this off, and then we shall see.
2: Do you want to know my favorite thing about intuition it, on, on masters? On Von yes. Stook, uh, you you use the uh, the card, the first one, to fail a duel and then you get plus, plus for the rest of his activation yeah okay you I've intentionally seen that. fail it's it hey, like you know what i'm gonna use this bonus hey you know what's even better i might draw a card out of it who knows do you have a defensive trigger built in i'm gonna use it on you thank you thanks to the car
3: i don't know if the player is listening but there i believe the guy said he was from las vegas but he also is a youtuber and uh, i had taken a picture with him i've I'm sorry. I forgot your name. Don't hate me. But uh, I had I had stumbled across their videos a while ago, and uh, it's been a minute. But uh, he played that versus me. And it was the first time I ever found out about that crew. And it was... It was I'm like freaking out because it's like my model is going to be ignored for strats and schemes, which that ended up destroying me as well. But it, he was like, oh, oh okay. Now that I, I, I failed it. And I cheated a high card to stop that too. Because now I failed it. I got I got positives for the rest of the time. I'm like... Oh. this op crew i'm like <laughs> white knuckling <laughs> it was a stomping he had like five points to my one it was just a brutal crew but sorry go back to you brian no you're
2: good it's, 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 i mean i i do that all the time it's wonderful oh god i don't want this ignored i'm gonna a 13 all right i'm gonna cheat at one to draw a card and now i'm gonna just kill the model with my plus flips Thank
1: you. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I matched your suit by cheating in that
2: one, and so yeah. now, yeah, now no, you cycled weird. the card. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you didn't even
3: need it because most of the time your hand's full of cards already, so you didn't even need the plus flips. But yeah, that's but, just the but extra. extra. Look, 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 look,
2: look. The goal, the goal is von Stuck, and drawing cards. Yes, drawing cards are great. Cycling cards is great, but the goal is to pressure your opponent to the point that they just they just give up.
1: Yeah, that they don't as want as to cheat. Want.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've won if they're not cheating.
1: You know, they're yeah, like, oh, I'm oh.
2: so tired and so being down of drawing those cards, of letting you draw cards that they just go, this is bullshit. I don't want to play anymore. You know what? Do whatever you <laughs> want to do. Like, that's.
3: <laughs> do what you're going to do.
2: That's the goal of every launch up game. <laughs> and <laughs> it's why uh, I will call out every card draw I can, like, hey, would you like to cheat? Because I'll draw a card if you don't. And they go, oh. Again,
0: why are you doing this to me again? All the thinking—it's—it's it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. hard thinking right there.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so no, that's great, um, and, and a great segue into the whole during the game section. So so yeah, uh, I'd like to start this at the very very start. We we talked some about hand management and having that set up and and how you might play some actions during during a game. I want to start at the very very beginning of the start phase. So you've just discarded cards and then you draw cards, um, and so. Pretend it's not turn, pretend it's turn two. Can you talk to me about your decisions on discarding cards and rules of thumb that you use there? And then when you draw what you're looking for in your opponent, a chance to talk about poker tells. I know that you've got some good experience there. A chance to talk about using stones. A chance to talk about building that or shaping a hand so that you have the right cards in your hand for... for what, whoever gets the first activation. Winning initiative, turn two is a BFD. And so, yeah, just sometimes. that entire... Well, sometimes, not always, yeah, but often. Um, so, yeah, talk to me about the start phase, please.
2: Yeah, so, you know, you you pitch your cards. Uh, in my mind, you I keep eights and above, unless I need to hit a specific TN, or I have a specific suit that I'm going to need later. But if it's a seven or less, it typically goes back in the deck. Um... And to be honest, if I have a seven in my hand at the end of the round, I'll try to cheat that into a duel just to get that back into my deck so I can draw it or uh, so I can either draw it or flip it later. Uh, You should always be doing that if, you know, at the end of the round, you do an action and you miss, cheat that card in that you want back in your deck to pull back later, right? You don't really want to discard it because that thins your deck. Um, Really, the only cards you want to, discard are going to be weeks, right? At the end of the round, you really want to only have one, two, three, four, five, and maybe sixes in your discard pile. Because those cards are not coming back for, for a full round, which is wonderful. You don't want them in your deck. But if you have a seven in there, it sort of feels bad. Anything higher than a seven, you just you, you hate yourself. Um whenever you draw cards, so this is the poker tell phase right so you know we draw our cards the first thing i do is i do not look at my hand i, I watch my opponent draw their hand the entire time my eyes are glued to my opponent's face because the amount of information people give away with just a sigh a slumping of the shoulders a little giddy like shuffling movement that they just got a really good card like the red joker in their hand uh People don't hide their tells at all when they're drawing their cards. So you can typically gauge what your opponent's strength is by watching them draw cards. And also whenever it comes time to burn a stone to draw cards is another moment where you can tell the hand strength of someone, you know, they, they draw their hand and they look at it and go, all right, I'm going to burn a stone to draw cards before you've even looked at your own hand or drawn your own hand. It's just our first immediate reaction. You go, that's a dead hand. Right, they've got four weeks in their hand. They're just trying to trash them. For me, I always make sure one, I burn a stone to draw cards when it's my turn to do so because there is an order to do it. Uh, and then two, I make sure that I do like a little mental internal count. Right, I go one Mississippi, two Mississippi. All right, I'm gonna burn a stone to draw some cards. And I played off like no big deal. I could have a handful of weeks, or a handful of severes, and you'll never know what I have. Because I try to be very blank faced and very neutral as I say it, um, I don't reorder my hand, you know, some people will do weakest to strongest, and they'll fan it out to you know, oh i I need my three, four, eight, nine, ten red Joker. When they order their cards and they're cheating, you can determine where that card is in their strength order, right? So my cards are fully random in my hand. Uh, unless I need a specific team for something and that will go to the side because that's something that's for one purpose, like a Necropunk Leap. I was right? totally going to ask you about that with
1: Leaps because I'm like, I need a friggin' four of masks and I don't want to accidentally discard it. And it's yes. happened more times than I care to admit. So it actually warms my heart that that has apparently happened to you as well. Yes. <laughs> so so <laughs> that's awesome. Or,
2: or you cheat it to draw a card to card cycle and go, oh God, I needed that yeah um, oh so, now
1: now i need to go figure out a way to make this leap happen because i really needed the leap totally okay <laughs> you oh i feel so good about that
2: Thank yeah you. so and <laughs> should always be separated right because those are your i these cards are dead to me there's been games where are i will even put them on the table face down and just go these are not touched until i need them because it's like that that card is a point to me right um Another thing, you should never put your cards on the table. Uh I know I just said I do it with like my my cards but your whole hand when people put their whole hand on the table, that means that they're done with them, they're not looking at them, they're not getting used. These are trash cards, you know. Oh, I've got three cards left in my hand. Put them down the table. I'm not even looking at them in between activations, in between cheats. I'm saying no, 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 no. What that tells your opponent is either A, they are very they're for very specific use cases, such as TN. So they're out of the equation. So they're top-decking against you. Um, It might be a Red Joker, because some people will put their Red Jokers on the table, because it's like, that's my gotcha card. Uh, Or they're trash, and they don't matter. So in every case, they're top-decking against you. And if you have cards in hand, and they're just top-decking, hoping for the best, you have an advantage. And so you never want to tell your opponent that because they also start taking some wild swings at you, hoping for the best, right? So you, you never want to give away the strength of your hand uh, because doing so will make your opponent become more bold with their own cards and their own attacks.
0: Or oh, conversely, the, between making them bold can also make your opponent more cautious if you're got to tell that you have the god hand yeah
1: yeah so now suddenly they're cautious and you kind of want them to run into you so it's it's another it doesn't necessarily fit in this section but it's a good segue or a good thing (laughs) that i'm just going to ask anyways is um so how about black joker uh you've got the black joker in your hand you want to keep it for a couple turns how do you hide that? And especially if you are running you know, you reach a point where you've run through your entire deck and they haven't seen the black joker, so now they know it is it's in your hand. But but short of that point, how do you how do you hide the black joker?
2: You know, with the black joker, you can't really hide very well. Uh you can hide it for a turn, but let's say you draw it on turn two and you keep it to turn three, they're gonna figure on turn three that you have the black joker in hand. And that does change the calculus on them going in on you because one, they know that you'll never, that the black will never be flipped for you, but two, they know that you, one of your cards is a dead card, right? You're never going to use it. Yeah, you're not going to be anything. cheating that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm actually very different in that. I know that the standard way of thinking is if you draw the black, you keep it in your hand at all times, but, there are definitely times where I will discard it at the end of turn three or at the end of turn four, or yeah, the end of turn three, or even the end of turn two, to make sure that I have a better card going to the next round. Uh, and and the reason for that is because let's say let's say I draw it turn two, it's not gonna pop up at all. Turn two, discard it at the end of turn two. I'm not drawing at turn three. So it's two rounds of the Black Joker and rounds two and three are the most important rounds for Killy Cruz. Because by turn four, their beaters are dead. So the Black Joker doesn't matter as much. Right.
1: One way or another. Yeah. So yeah.
2: <laughs> in my opinion, I'd much rather discard the card at the end of the second phase at the end of the second turn and draw another card into my hand that's gonna get used in round three rather than holding on to it and just, you know,
0: well, technically that would be discarding the card at the
2: start of turn. Sorry. At the start of the round. Yes. But if you're, if you have like Joker in your hand, your opponent's going to figure it out. You want to try to, you want to try to hide it as much as possible, but they're going to figure it out.
1: Alrighty. So we had a question from Musab. Uh, we'd already talked about stoning for cards, but, uh, uh, they also ask, what's the best way to mitigate or deal with a terrible hand? And specifically, I'd like to know, like, what do you consider a terrible hand? We've talked about a good one is maybe an even distribution of from all the way from super weak to, to great. But yeah, what's a good hand and what's a terrible hand to you? And how do you deal with that?
2: A terrible hand is, you know, you have eight high in your hand. Yeah, you, know, you have a medium moderate as like your highest card or it's eight or less And then one severe is a horrible hand. Um, If you don't have two severes in your hand, you should be stoning for cards. In a lot of cases, unless you have a lot of funky TNs that you have to hit that's a lot of middle tier stuff. Uh, McCabe is a good example of what that would look like, where you want a lot of moderate cards to make sure that they top their TNs. But having 3 or more weeks in hand is where bad hand right and that's when you need to stone for cards and you get to figure out what you have to do in order to mitigate that with whatever you draw uh and sometimes you'll draw those next two cards and they're both also weeks and you have to pitch them and at that point you just have to understand that if your hand is bad and the two cards you discard is are bad and you discarded one or two cards from the last round that were weak cards, your deck is fire, right? Your deck is going to be so hot on those top flips, or on on those top decking flips, that you only have to worry about your hand as much, unless you have terrifying or something along those lines. But the more weaks in your hand, the less they are in your deck. And so that's where you want your strong cards Unless you needed a specific action to go off, but you just have to understand that your deck is going to be better and you need to flip those cards as many cards as possible. Right? So I would probably say, take, don't focus an attack, right? Don't spend two AP for one attack, attack twice because your cards are naturally going to be better. Cause you
1: know, your deck's going to be pretty hot. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. No, that makes great sense. The, um, do you stone? And, and maybe this goes to like the larger concept of, is it worth a point? You know, a stone is, is generally going to be worth a point, but yeah, I, I love the example that we've used of, you have a leap, whether it's a Scylid or a Necropunk or whatever the heck, but you have a leap that needs to go off. You've got to have a four mask or a five mask or whatever. Um, do you stone for those? You know, you've, you've got no masks. Yeah, at what point are you like, there's a 25% chance, or I don't know what the chance is of drawing a mask from a stone. Is that worth it or not? Because I, I have certainly struggled with that question myself.
2: So points, any investment of resources into scoring a point is worth it. Even for the chance of scoring a point. Because we're, we're playing a 16 point game. And so you need to be doing whatever you can to scrape together that 6% of, of your win condition in your favor. Whether and you're saying 16
1: points because it's eight for us and eight for the opponent? Yeah. Okay. Yes,
2: you're, you're playing a full 16-point game. Eight for you to score and eight for you to deny. And so any time that you need to invest resources like stones, cards, actions, it's all worth it if that gets you the six percent of your win condition gets you closer to that goal of winning the game so absolutely if you need that mask to guarantee the point and if you don't have that mask you just don't score that round you stone for that mask Uh, i think it's so if it's if you need
0: a four of masks or better you've got it's a uh 20.37% Twenty point three seven percent of your deck is cards that will get that are a four of mask or higher.
2: Twenty point three, how'd you get that? So
0: that is five, seven, um four, five, six, seven, ten seven, cards eight. plus the red joker. Oh ten, sorry. Ten yeah, cards yeah. plus the red joker. So eleven cards divided by fifty-four.
1: Yeah. And you haven't seen it yet, so you know it's in the remaining, you've already drawn your six or seven and you have your discard pile. So yeah, but it's it's like that percentage or higher, twenty percent or higher. Well,
0: yeah, that, that's the percentage of your deck, not your percentage chance of drawing the card. Yeah. That's harder so, okay. than 28. I was just going, this is what you know, the percentage of your deck that will get you that
2: leak. It's is 23% yeah. if none of your cards in hand are that card. Okay. So, yeah. So a stone is definitely worth trying to hit that mask. Okay. If it's the only way you're going to score that point, yeah. Because otherwise you're dead in the water, and you're you lose out on part of your win condition.
0: Well, especially because the um, the necropunk can't spend that stone to just add the suit. Right. Right.
2: And yeah. I, I've even gone so far as to knowing on turn four I need to get my Necropunk to the spot. So on turn three, if I don't draw, I will stone on turn three to get the card and hold it into turn four. Okay.
1: No, that that, that makes great sense. It, yeah. If it's one of I, those,
2: there's no other way to get this, and you look ahead and go, I'm going to have to do this in two turns, I will do what I can to get that resource earlier.
1: Yeah, it makes great, great, great sense.
0: So I've got, I've got a question to ask that before we move on from this, because a lot of what we were just talking about there with the big time for tells in the game is when you draw the cards. Yes. All right. It is no secret to the world. I kind of wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm not the only one. How do you mitigate not having a poker face? I'm attempting to become a better player too. So what is a way, what are ways to mitigate not having a poker face? Or what advice do you have for helping to deal with your tells?
2: So in poker, the only way you're going to be able to deal with your tells is by someone telling you what your tells are. You don't know what your tells are until someone points it out to you. Uh, it, it's a common problem with poker where you know what the common ones are and you try to avoid those. But it's natural human instincts and reactions and habits that you form over time. So it's very hard to break those without someone acknowledging that, acknowledging to you that you have those problems. So it's very hard to just break poker tails without third party feedback.
0: Right. You need to uh, know what they are before you know what the problem is before
2: you sort the problem. Right. So if you don't have that, the ways that some of the things that you can do to mitigate the information that you reveal through tells through someone that's watching and analyzing your actions and your movements is some of the things I mentioned earlier. You know, when you draw your hand, try to have a neutral face, try to be talking to someone. Don't show your hand to your friend next door of what your hand looks like. Uh, Don't immediately stone. Don't sigh. Don't slump your shoulders. Just look at your cards, take some steady breaths, make a decision, and then just try to be as clear and robotic as you can, just very zen. And this is why Doug calls me a robot, is because of part of what I do is when I'm in game mode, I'm very neutral face, I've got my game face on, I'm very focused, you don't really see a lot of information from me, because I'm so focused on not giving away any information.
0: Unless it's going really bad for you, unless it's going horribly, if you've know, you yeah. if, yeah. if, if you can't, <laughs> you can't because you're do like it, whatever. it's that the the tilt, but you you do a very good job of recovering from the tilt usually. Yeah.
1: So you you you've taken the obviously the the be very like stoic, you know, be a very flat effect kind of thing uh, to reduce that for for someone who doesn't who doesn't have that who hasn't developed that skill yet. Is it, is it okay? Have you ever seen anybody who kind of leans into it? You know, they're like, I don't have a poker face. So my God, I'm just going to take a photo of my, like, I don't know. It doesn't matter whether my hand is good, bad, or indifferent. I'm going to have this joyous expression, or I'm going to take a photo of it to share for later. Hey, look, just let me pause for a moment while I take a photo of my hand even though maybe it's actually not complete shit but they're pretending like it is have you ever seen people do that and is that effective or is that just a waste of effort i've <laughs> and they never should just seen learn anyone
2: fake taking a photo of their hand to try to tell whether it's really good or really bad i've never had that i don't know how effective it would be nope um so. it it would be interesting cuz usually when someone's showing their hand it's either really good or really bad so you could give away fake information Uh, And that's when we start diving into a deeper game of tells, right? When you start falsifying tells that they're your opponent off. Um, What I have seen people lean into is their friendly, bubbly personalities where, you know, we, we have a lot of people that just love talking and being friendly and just open and positive. And if you learn how to keep that going, even when you look at a bad hand, you also reveal nothing. So I've leaned into the stoic neutralness.
0: You stonewall them. Yeah. yeah.
2: But if you can lean into that bubbly, friendly, talkative, you know, you draw your hand, and you're just talking and chatting and having a good time, and, oh, yeah, you know, I, I guess I'll stone for some cards. not a big deal, whatever, and just, like, pick up your cards. It, it, that's very doable, and that would also be another route to take.
0: Or overplaying the... Oh man, I'm stoning like really overplayed. Like, oh god, this is garbage. I'm stoning.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I I have done that a few times where I will give tells of you know look at my hand and I'll stone to stone too quickly to try and make my opponent think I've got bad cards.
0: Stone vocally, you know. Oh, like, oh man, I need better cards than this.
2: I know it's your turn. I don't care. Take all the time. Yeah,
1: take all the time you want. I'm friggin' stoning, even though it's not your turn to stone. Yeah. Or you draw (laughs) cards
2: and you just go, "Uh, I need a stone. And then they go, oh, they have a bad hand, but your hand's actually pretty decent, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, I have done that. It's not common, and I don't know if it actually works or is effective in in any way. Uh, They have to be paying attention. Yes. Something else to look for when people are giving out tells and information during a game, and this isn't really tells, it's, it's something that you can't really help, is whenever people are cheating cards into the duels, right? Let's say that they need a four for their action to go off. They flip a three, they sigh, they cheat a seven in. What that tells you is they don't have a 5 or a 6 in their hand. Yeah. Or a 4 or 5 or 6 in their hand, right? Yeah. So you know the rest of the cards are 7 or up or lower than, lower than 4, right? And what that lets you do, which is very hard to remember in-game because there's so much information going on, but depending on what that missing card is, let's say they cheated a 10 for a 6, so they don't have a moderate in hand, You can cheat moderates to hit to force them to burn severe to dodge, so I can be like, "Oh, he doesn't have any moderates in hand. I can cheat this Aiden to pull his thirteen, and then you're getting card value." You you still expect
1: you're going to lose that punch, but you're pulling the thirteen out of his hand. He won't. Yeah, it's net
2: positive for you. Yeah. So there are cases where that will help a lot. Uh, if you're watching, what your opponent is cheating and what they need to cheat.
1: No, that is that is great insight. That uh, and I want to talk some more about cheating. Have you got any other um, before we get into? I actually that... have an
0: important um, note to make that this is something that a lot of players forget, and that there is a correct order to declare whether or not you are spending a stone to draw two cards and discard two cards. Yeah. Whoever has the initiative, which means the player who went first last turn, is supposed to declare first. Mm-hmm. A lot of players completely ignore that. Yeah, but it, it it does technically matter,
2: and that's important because your opponent stoning for cards will sometimes inspire you to stone for cards. So knowing if your opponent's going to this stone for cars will and it will influence what you're going to be doing with your stones.
1: It's it's also that it's not even in turn two. It's where it it often makes a big difference on turn two who's going to get initiative, and that it's the initiative from turn one is often not the person who wins the flip. But the person, again, like you said, Doug, who goes first. Which I, I know you guys know this, but just for listeners, like, keep that in mind. It's a, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. the guy who won the flip or the gal who won the flip is not necessary. not often on turn one the person who has initiative. Turn right. One.
0: It's the person who went first. Yes. And t- and turn one, it is if no initiative has been flipped at all yet. It is the attacker.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Now. Yeah, so. Um. I have not had this come up very often in games as to the actual enforcement of the order. But it is something to note that if you are the person who is, uh, you know, supposed to buy, you know, buy cards second. If you're holding off, buy cards until, you know, you see if your opponent does or not it is generally a very good uh, thing to say is ask them if they are buying cards Mm -hmm. before buying cards yourself, because if you buy cards and then they buy cards as well, they are not allowed to do that, but it feels like a dick move to say, sorry, you can't do that. I buy cards seconds. You're buying cards reactionarily, but you are within your rights to say that.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I will always, if I'm second, I will always call out them stoning for cards first and say, would you like to stone for cards? Because that tells me, that gives me information to help me make my decisions, right? Uh, If my opponent stones before I offer, or if I'm supposed to stone first and they just do it, that gives me also a lot of information about their hand strength, right? So I will never correct anyone. I will never... Like, oh, you did that in the wrong order because you just gave away some information that I'm going to use against you later, right?
0: But if, let's say, if you were supposed to stone and take cards first and they did it first without first asking you, yeah, and then said, Hey, you can't do that. Well, if they didn't give you the opportunity, correct? Yeah, now this is only ever come up like once or twice for me, and like a very long time of playing, but it is something that can come up. Honestly, this is something that really only comes up top, top, top table stuff where they are getting all this information from that there. Yeah. true. Sure. But it is important knowledge to know so that you don't pull a gotcha on someone or that you don't get a gotcha pulled on you because of this because there is technically an order that you uh spend stones to draw cards
1: now great 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 discussion the um i wanted to circle back um this is kind of a question from greg pack um was asking clear from the other side of the atlantic uh listener in the uk um asked in discord about just if we've got any other insights on managing your hand you talked about putting um cards that you know you need to use to make a TN on one side or another or whatever, and making sure that we don't actually, you know, that's the one card you might put on a, on the table just to make sure that it doesn't happen. Uh, but Greg, Greg was, was talking about how they have a habit of burning through their hand early where their opponent has only used one or two. And so could you just talk about kind of maybe the tempo of card management or depending on the crew, the crew that you're facing, how you try to keep a hold of hands and how you continue to, to pressure them during a turn?
2: Yeah, so once your opponent doesn't have cards in hand, they are top-decking and praying, right? They don't have any options. They don't have any control anymore. They're just going to see what happens, and bad things happen when that comes up. There's a lot of different scenarios, because there are times where I've burned my whole hand at my first activation. There's times where I've let my master die to save my hand. And what that always comes down to is, is it scoring or denying points. That's that is that is the ultimate decision on any type of card management that you really need to decide on. Is if I burn my three Severe's in hand on my first activation, am I guaranteed to score a point, or am I guaranteed to deny a point, or am I going to kill a master? Guaranteed, regardless of stone use, because there are times where I'll see someone burn their whole hand to try to kill a master, but not count for stones and go, Oh, god, well, the master is left alive with one health left, and I'm out of cards. This doesn't go real bad for me. Heal, heal, heal. Yeah. And... The rest of the turn is going to be rough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I actually did that at Nova. Uh, I miscounted um, something with the Grave Goo with my Reva, um, I miscounted the amount of shielding it was going to get for my attacks. And he got one extra shielding than what I counted. So I survived with one health, ate Reva, ran her back into the middle of his crew, and then spit her out and killed her. Um, So it's very tough on knowing how to, how to paint your hand. The question is always, "Am I scoring points?" Like literally, that—that's what that comes down to.
1: Yeah, and a guaranteed. So, how do you deal with that though? winner? it's you know, it's statistically likely to get you a point, but it's certainly not guaranteed. You know, and so where do you make that call? Is there a is there a number? If it's sixty six and a third, then, then oh my god, I'm going for it, or, or is it just gut it, feel, or, or it's what? Gut yeah. feeling.
2: I, I think okay. anything. Above, I, th- I think it depends on how desperate it is. Okay, uh, if it's fifty percent and up, I'll go for it. If it's desperate, I mean, I'll take those ten percent chances. Um, uh, because yeah, because you, you have to. Otherwise,
1: I'm losing. If, yeah. if I don't go for this and get lucky, then I'm gonna lose. Okay, <laughs> yeah,
2: right. And I mean, I've even done things to where I'll cheat a card in to tie the duel, so I can flip an extra card, hoping for that red. You're fishing. You know?
0: uh, that was one of the things I learned early in um playing malpho and this went back to second edition of the all right i know my black is out of play my red head isn't in my hand or come up i'm going you know i'm going joker fishing
2: yep and yeah. you
0: know what maybe you know hey oh yes uh, i'm cheating to get you know that 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 trigger but it's like nope i'm going joker fishing and that three cards you know hey you got a better chance then
2: People joker fish against me a lot because of as undead, we have hard to wound. And so they get an extra card and they will go, I'll take four cards. Give me that red eight damage. Let's do it. Um, Yeah. Hard to wound is very bittersweet at times because of that.
1: Yeah. There are a few red jokers out there. <laughs> and so, yeah, for sure. So no, that's great.
0: And I mean, there's also something to be said about getting that chance to... You got a hand that you think you can take down their master. Even if maybe that will not necessarily score you a point, losing a master that fast can really tilt an opponent. Yes. and And
2: mess up their play. Or if you see... Their scheme runner, who's not gonna score this round, but's gonna get gonna get into your deployment and get breakthrough next round, and you can't stop him, you should probably invest the cards now to remove the scheme runner before he scores breakthrough in two turns, right? So tilting your opponents, removing an unactivated master before turn four, uh, and scoring into nine points are probably where it's okay to burn your hand and just live or die by the deck at that point. Um, it, it's all calculus and trying to figure out what the best decision is in that moment. Cause there's a lot of different variables. There's a lot of different situations. It's why this game is so great. It's Cause there's so many different things that pop up that you just can't account for. Uh, Cause there are times where burning your whole hand early is great. And there are times where it's really bad. Yeah, so. and
0: I think it should be noted that when I say tilting the opponent, I don't mean trying to literally piss them off or something like that. Oh, like, you're playing Malpho wrong, my friend. No, 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 okay, not, <laughs> okay, it's not the I'm pe- I'm not doing going the hey I'm going to play in such a way to be a dick is the hey I'm going to make an ac- oh it- there's a <laughs> there's being an asshole and then there's the um, hey. I'm going to uh, take down your master in a way that you can't re- deal with because that is an emotional blow that no- you, there's two different ways of when it comes to tilted.
1: I, I want to jump in here too. Yeah. Because, because look, that Brian, you're, you're, you, you kind of talk about it, I'm like, no, I'm like trying to be a dick and you,
0: you're not
2: like, no, I, no, I, I, I'm just joking. Know. I'm not trying to be a dick. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, there, You know, there's the, there, cause I am I have met people who they don't tend to stick around the community that long, but who will play the dickish game, and either they've gotten you know called into uh, they've got called to task on it, or they get driven out of the community.
1: Yeah. Oh, there's absolutely people like that,
0: and that it's the when I say tilt your opponent, losing your master unexpectedly early is an emotional blow that a lot of people, it backfoots them and it derails their thought process. And if you can derail their thought process and throw off their game plan, even if, like, ultimately, that's, that master wasn't going to score them points, it's not going to score you points, it's not going to deny points or anything there, it's still an
2: emotional gut punch. It's a moral, it's a moral victory for you
1: yeah it's the pressure that you're talking about back early in the episode where you're just like it's so much pressure in that moment, um and now they're like, I need to pause and and figure out how you know what's my way forward. you know, I was counting on this, this and this, and this, and this out of the master, whether they're support master, a scheme master, a kill yeah. master they're like they suddenly don't have that what is my what is my path to victory now and all if, if all that you're doing is burning 5 minutes off the clock because they're in the tank trying to figure out what if they even have a path to victory like that's a huge victory so yeah it's it's and this is important for listeners like like texas is a tough very competitive meta it's not a dick meta there there is one or two dicks out there right but but like that's just humans you know there's there's going to be some small percentage of people that are dicks <laughs> the reality is it's it's there's a lot of pressure that that we put on each other here in texas and it's it's super cool and so yeah card management is one way that you can put a lot of pressure on a player yeah i'll think clay
2: and i've played have we played before
1: no we haven't it's it's been said uh that i would love to and i look forward to that day but yeah it's it's lately it would only be on like the first, because I'm not going to be meeting you on the top tables necessarily, but but, but there is going to be a day where I am right. That's why that's part of why we're doing this podcast is to, is to help me and others level up. No kidding. And <laughs> so, I think uh, it
0: comes down to I mean a lot of talk when it comes to hand management and deck management is getting into the mental and emotional side of the game because look your car what what your deck is doing. And what your the stats that you have on your card, no matter who puts that crew on the table, that is what's there. But there are some crews that you put the identical crew on the table. One person's going to pilot it better than the other because they have the mental and the emotional game that goes along with it. And I feel like proper deck management and reading your opponent, and you know, putting out that uh, controlling what information you're putting out there is the harder to quantify part of the game. Yeah,
2: I'd agree with that.
1: Yeah, and, it, and, and because it's harder to quantify, it's easy to not think about it. You know, we can memorize cards or we can read opponent's cards or we can whatever, but we're not necessarily thinking about it from a card management standpoint. We're thinking about other other stats, you know, yeah. and it's uh, and so, no, super, super useful.
2: Which I but, feel like that's uh, something that gets missed a lot with Malifaux is people don't they, at least for newer players, right? Like experienced players, they, they get it, but someone new coming to the game they see the shiny cards, they see, they see the shiny plastic, they see all the different markers, and that's, that's their focus. They don't think about card manipulation or card management. They don't consider that because that's just eh, it's there. But that plays into the entire game. It's why this game is so superior to other games is because of, we're playing with an average set of cards where our odds are the exact same because we're, it's the same deck of cards. It's not a dice roll of a random number generator. So yeah, exactly.
1: but you,
0: the, the other thing is as the turn goes on, you, you get a better understanding of what the odds of your deck are Yeah, that, you know, okay, my blacks come up. My Reds also come up. This is what I've had in my hand. I got a slim deck. You do get to know you get that even if you're not truly counting cards, once you've got you know some years under your belt playing the game, you develop that feel for where your deck is at, yeah, and where your opponent's deck is at,
1: yeah. I think that's a that's a great kind of way to to transition into what we would do for you know in a, in our, in our normal better malvo one game at a time kind of thing we'd be talking about advice you know it's after the game and we're looking back and so it's advice for a bottom third middle third top third player segment that we run through and and I'd love to kind of hit that within the context of card card management and so um there's a question that came up and that I'd like you to interleave through that as we go through bottom, mid, and top tier questions, um, that Tommy Bull, or Tommy Double uh, on Discord, uh, one of our local Texas players, uh, he, he brought up counting cards and kind of ingest. And, and Doug, you were just talking about kind of judging deck heat. And uh, Ben Jules and some other people in the Discord were also talking about about deck heat. But Tommy brought up counting cards. And so even though that was originally jest, can you talk to that a little bit as you go through middle tier or you know bottom tier, middle tier, top tier. How much of that is useful? How much of that is, you know, you know, at some point in there's counting like every card which is a high skill that you've even said that you don't have as a top tier player. But like keeping track of the jokers is kind of a in my mind a bottom a bottom tier skill that we need to work on. <laughs> you know, I should at yeah. least know whether me and my opponent have have flipped over their black jokers and red jokers or not. But but like where does that fit in as you're going through?
2: Yeah, so So deck heat is a huge topic because like Doug was saying, it's something that you just acquire a feel for as you get in a lot of reps. For someone that's new to the game, getting a feel for your deck's heat is very difficult. But what you should always be keeping track of, like you said, is the jokers. You should always know if the jokers have been flipped because that's going to give you enough information To know, hey, he could spike nine damage here on this hit, you know, with a red Joker on the damage flip. Or it could be zero damage or, hey, my summon might actually fail here because I haven't flipped my black Joker yet.
0: Or knowing that, hey, they got a slim deck. Their red Joker hasn't come up yet. I'm going to throw a bunch of simple duels their way. Yep. Because... I'm going to get, you know, I'm fishing for their red joker on something they don't give a shit about.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So it knowing where their deck is at when it's getting slim, so you can try to fish for the red, which can backfire because obviously if you slim it more, that very shot is hitting their red on you. Yeah, exactly. But you're trying to pull the red out in the least useful way possible. Um, and so knowing where the jokers are, if they've been flipped or not, that's probably bottom tier. And then understanding basic deck heat is probably your middle tier players where, hey, I've, you know, I've flipped a bunch of severes this game. So I know I'm going to have a bunch of weeks for the rest, or for this round. I'm going to have a bunch of weeks for the rest of the round. Because, you know, my my first four cards I flipped this this round were all severe, So, I mean, that's... Uh, what four out of sixteen? No, four out of twelve severs gone. That's thirty percent of my severs are out. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a huge number to lose right out the gate, and so you just know going into the rest of the round that your your deck is not going to be as good as your opponents because of those severs are flipped. Uh, and vice versa, right? You flip a bunch of weeks, like I was saying, with the hand where you discard cards, and when you have week Cards in your hand, you know your deck is going to be on average a lot better because of those weeks are not in there, and so you can do you can do small little tricks to manipulate your deck heat of you know when do you discard cards, what what kind of cards you discard, when do you discard them, if if Jack Daw attacks you and forces you to pitch a card, do you get rid of the one or do you get rid of the the five? I get rid of the five personally because that five goes back in the deck and I'm okay with that. I want to save the one to get rid of at the end of the round. And there's a lot of little tricks that you'll pick up over your games where you'll just start learning how to make your deck hit just a little bit better because that's how, that's when people go, Oh my God, Brian's deck is always so hot. It hits all the time. I don't understand how he does this. It's because I'm constantly cycling my deck. It's because I'm constantly doing little tricks to try to edge the heat up a little bit more in it and try to manipulate it. Obviously not cheating, but doing little tricks that will influence my following turns.
1: Yeah. The whole the whole thinking the next turn is definitely like kind of a mid-tier thing, I think, in that regard, where it's like, yeah, yeah that that I'm not... Even, yeah, I am concerned about what I'm discarding now. Maybe I can use a five. No, it's more important. Think about the next turn and the fact that, yeah, I'd rather have the one in the discard pile sitting there. There's no way I'm going to get that. And a five sometimes is just enough to get by. So, yeah, no, that's great.
2: And sometimes, you know, if you, you know, you stone for cards and you draw your hand and you got like one, one, two, three, and then decent cards, I'll get rid of the two and the three and keep the ones in hand with the intent of discarding them at the end of the round so I don't see those cards again.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, another important thing to learn for uh, the, you know, bottom tier player, beginning player, is to know what the numbers in the deck mean. Understand that seven is the average card in the deck.
2: Unless you have plus flips then your
3: average is a
0: nine. I meant the, oh, I didn't realize that was how the math was, but the average, so the average card of a straight flip is a seven because zero through 50, uh, zero through 14, 54 cards averages to seven. So knowing that, all right, at the very least, what will, will, can I get this off with an average card or not? How much is spending this card costing me? It's like, oh, this is a I've got a target number where I need an eight or a nine to get it off. Okay, this is a more expensive action for me to guarantee as opposed to the oh, I need a three or a four to get this off. You're just more likely to be able to top deck that.
2: My my favorite ones is when you need a two to get something off and you flip a one. I think that's a Titania, right?
0: Uh, yeah, something like that. And it's also the, it's hey, like when they the knowing when head. you've got it, it's like, okay, am I going to spend the stone on this? Like, I only need a three or four to get this off. I'm going to spend the stone, which of course then you're going to flip the 13 with the suit you just spent the stone on. Yeah. Because, but, because magic, if you didn't spend that stone, it wouldn't have had that suit. Yep. Because that's just the way... Um, reality works in my mind. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, I think if we were going, you know, entry, middle, and high. Entry is following jokers. Middle is understanding your deck's heat, and then I think at high level is understanding your opponent's hand heat. Right. I think that's okay. when you jump from mid once you get the deck heat down, that's not something you really improve more on unless you want to count cards. And to me, that that's, no. I, not I worth the cards. effort. Yeah. No. And, 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 like,
1: and, the, and that's kind of a, yeah, there's only so many t- hours that you can spend. There's only so much brain, you know, you can spend brain power on that, sure, in a game, but that's brain power you're not spending on stuff that will score you points. You know, the, right. the points that you're going to get from counting cards is not necessarily worth the points that you get from spending that energy on the, direct scaring scoring points. So yeah, that, that makes that makes good sense.
2: Right. And like you can I mean counting cards in like blackjack is perfectly fine because blackjack you're you're there for the cards and there's nothing else other than your your gambling, right? Yeah. But in this game there's so many different decisions and odds and different things you have to consider and so many different pieces moving pieces that you can't count cards. So to me the 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 high level is gauging your opponent's deck strength. So, you know, cheating in those cards and understanding where their hand is at will in, will help you become a better gamer because that's going to tell you so much more information. Like, let's say my opponent cheated a 12 in, but they only needed a 10. I know they only have 12s or 13s in their hands as their high card. I'll cheat a 10 to say, "Give me your 13." Like, I'm okay missing that a 10 for a 13 even trade, I win that every time. Yeah. Um or if they don't, you go cool, well I just I didn't waste my own severe to hit you. I, I wasted a moderate, right? So I think once you get to the experience here, it's gonna be understanding your opponent's hand strength as they play it and trying to do things to and trying to do things to manipulate your own decks heat are the two okay. skills that experienced player will have over the moderate player. Because the modern player can understand deck keep, but they're not gonna know how to influence it or what to bring to try to modify that at the right timings. No, that is awesome.
0: I think something else to add on to that top uh that top third there, and this is something that you know you definitely uh hit on with the you know the tells is yeah. the understanding how to read your opponent and understanding how to give away as little information as possible with your actions yep i know that the uh personally giving away information is that's something i need to work on i definitely uh am not i i, I don't have a great poker face. <laughs> I know that's going to be shocking.
2: Shocking to anyone who's ever met me. Hey, Doug, I always know when you have the Black Joker in hand.
0: You know what? The yeah. thing is, I am okay with my opponent yeah. knowing I have the Black Joker in my hand.
2: Yeah, that's actually terrifying to your opponent, right? That, that's more mental mind games. Right, and I would rather them know
0: I'm not going to play with it face up on the table in front of me. But if they know I've got the Black Joker in hand...
2: He will show it to you and go, Yep. Yeah, I do.
0: I'm okay with them knowing that. And it's the... Yeah, they can figure it out. But you know what? I am totally okay with them knowing that that there is not a way for me to guaranteed fail something. And I'm okay with them having living in fear of... Whatever it is, they are afraid that I might fail, knowing that I can't fail. That,
1: yeah, yeah, and there, there's no more Jack Black Joker fishing for them. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, no, that's great. So okay, so um, kind of as a and thanks very much for talking through the 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 card counting kind of kind of question there. That uh, other advice for a bottom third player, and one that I'd specifically. Uh, like to hit i'm just going to use the words that came from Bathosphere on our discord uh, nuggets of wisdom surrounding card evaluation management that you think are most important to convey to new players um, what insight about the underlying math you know we could talk math for hours and hours and hours and pull up whatever multivariable calculator things but like what's the most helpful math uh that new players should know and then any other nuggets that you have for new players uh or or bottom third players even if we're not new anymore yeah
2: so for a interplayer player understanding the math right <clears throat> like doug was saying earlier the average flip is a seven just flat average positive flips are a nine on average obviously like that's not a hard average right you can flip a one and a five and whatever but the average is a nine uh and then the average on a negative flip is a five right so that's some good underlying math to understand gauging your TNs on your duels uh, and knowing, do I have a chance of top decking this TN? Um, that's a big one. Understanding how many severes there are actually in the deck. There are less severes than there are any other kind of card in your deck. Uh, so, severes are much more rare, so when you do see them, that that reduces your deck heat Significantly more than it grows by seeing weak cards because there's a lot more weak cards than there are spheres.
1: Yeah, that is such a huge point. And like, I remember the light bulb coming on on that, and it was some time ago. This wasn't like last week. The, <laughs> well, this is, is five it.
2: minutes ago for you. Yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> no, but it's like seriously for brand new players. That's that's one of the biggest tips I think that we could give to new players is like severe. Everyone thinks it's kind of like a third, a third, a third, and it's, it's not, not. <laughs> it's five, it's... five, and three. You know, it's 20
2: yeah. weeks to 12 severes. Yeah. Like, it, it's a huge difference in numbers. I'm yeah. uh, no, sorry, 21 weeks to 13 severes because of the Jokers. Oh, yeah, because of the Jokers, yeah. So those that that is such a huge number for newer players to understand on how impactful the severes are because they're so much rarer compared to everything else. And I would consider even, like, sixes as, like, weak plus, right? Oh, they can do moderate damage, but are they going to actually do anything? Likely not, unless it's, like, fly with me or ride with me or something like that, right?
0: Or that, well, might as well use it for a moderate damage. Right. On a, oh, I got a straight flip somehow. All right, moderate damage, here we go. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh, And then also making sure that you understand Following the Jokers is a big one. Um, and the last thing would be, uh, if you're spending cards, you should always be following the points. Points are the most important part of this game. And so everything you do needs to be moving you towards the goal po- the goalpost of scoring a point. That is 100% everything. Every action needs to be dedicated to scoring those eight points or denying eight points. So, yeah, and I guess that would be the the other math, right? It's not an eight point game; it's a sixteen point game. Would be something for a newer player that is something you don't that doesn't click for someone that's new, because you go, "Oh, I see, score eight points." No, no, no. You want to score eight and deny eight, so it's sixteen points in this game.
1: Yeah, keep keep that in mind, and that denying is. As valid as scoring, you know. Yes. And so I mean winning
2: one oh, yeah. o is the same as winning eight oh. I mean obviously differential is a big deal, but one oh is still a win. And there are some crews that specifically go for one oh victories. That's and the thing. Eight eight is still a tie. And eight eight is still a tie. You scored everything, they scored everything. Guess what? You didn't win good job you yeah, had a yeah. fun
0: time honestly the 8-8 tie I, the one-eight-eight tie i've had in a tournament was one of my favorite games i've ever played
1: <laughs> yeah
0: but that wasn't <laughs> a win and that was just some fun shenanigans
1: <laughs> yeah Truth. so Is that,
0: that was a gen con i that was a gen con third round of my uh first of back back-to-back undefeated years that was the year I got no wins, but no losses. The uh, the Titania Marcus uh, the
2: Titania. Wow. <laughs> wow.
0: But no, that was that was against, um, uh, Nathaniel from Steam Powered Scoundrels. We had oh a my fucking blast.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. So. All right. How about advice for middle third player? Uh, both just, yeah, what kind of stuff would you give for the middle tier uh, as, as we're looking at, at card management everything there?
2: <laughs> it's going to be understanding deck heat, you know, learning how to manipulate your deck uh, yeah. in a way that's going to be advantageous to you. Understanding when your deck is hot, when it's cold. Uh, and then starting to watch for poker tells. You know, that's Poker tells, hand tells. You want to start looking for those things to move on to your, to the next level.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good put. We also, you know, there's the the idea of of uh, kind of tech picks. Uh, to go against an opponent's crew may may fit into that zone where it's like, yeah, yeah, based on not just you know, I need to defeat their whatever. I'm going into so-and-so so I need condition removal. Got it. Let's talk about card management. I'm going into so-and-so therefore I need to put more card pressure on them.
0: I need this to get around a lot of concealment. Yeah. Or uh, knowing how to get those positive flips on things. Or knowing I mean, how to watch out for them putting you on negative flips on the defense, because that you can have the highest, most awesome godlike hand if you're on negative flips uh, to re- on
2: the defense. Yeah,
1: you can't cheat. You can't have do a, a, nice a damn thing
2: at. about it. And <laughs> yeah. actually, you're in a worse spot because your deck is cold. So, yeah. Uh, yeah so. If you want, if talk about hand management when list building, that that's why you should look at your opponent's keyword and figure out what are they bringing to the table. Are they bringing plus flips? Are they bringing terrifying? Are they bringing ruthless? Are they, uh, are they bringing simple duels? Are they bringing card draw? You know, the front of von Schuck's card is draw cards for tying suits. Like that's huge. How do you mitigate that? Do you bring beaters that don't rely on triggers or don't have built-in suits to their abilities. That way um, they can't just have an automatic uh, an automatic trigger, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've seen that a lot where I'll see someone that goes, oh, you have a built-in crow on your defense? Okay, well, Anna's going to shoot you because she has a built-in crow on her gun. You can't dodge me drawing a card, right? So looking at what your opponent's crew does as a keyword is going to help you figure out those tech picks uh and the biggest ones are going to be dealing with things like simple duels dealing with shock waves uh shock waves pulses um and anything like that
1: yeah that makes sense so cool
2: uh-huh. So I'm getting and a tired. Top...
1: <laughs> yeah, No, I get it. No, this is this has been so good, though. So um, so we're, we're going to wrap up, though, with uh, yeah. advice for top third player. Um, I and not give that these you necessarily guys need... have any answers, but yeah, what skills are you trying still trying to develop when it comes to card management?
2: <laughs> I don't want to give these guys any advice. They're the ones that are going to be beating me. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, well, let's be
0: honest. A lot of the, when it comes to hand management stuff, the... A lot of the stuff to learn for the top third player is difficult to learn. The picking up on tells, controlling your own tells, those are hard things that are that you have to learn through experience, and that's why you know there's some people who are winning all the money in the World Series of Poker. Those guys would be great at Malifaux.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I think. The stuff I'm still working on is I'm still trying to perfect my tell reading for people I don't play against constantly.
1: Oh yeah, that makes great sense because yeah, it's like it's a tell for for me. You know, if you're playing me, you know exactly or whatever. You know, somebody that you probably regularly say. I mean, if I play
2: Andre, I know his tells. So playing Andre, I can read him like a book. So I know when when it's gonna be good or bad for me. He doesn't. Yeah, can't hide anything. But yeah. if I go to Nova and I play against, uh, I don't know, Cody, you know, I don't know how to read Cody. I don't. Yeah. Know. So I have to figure out how to pick up on the tells a lot faster against my non fellow Texan players.
1: Yeah, no, which is great advice. Yeah. So um, that and then you'd already talked about that. Figuring out how to get that last little tiny bit of heat, uh, kind yeah. of out of each interaction of your own crew, um, is something the, that, that's a top tier thing. So yeah,
2: the extra heat is a big one. Uh, that's good. That will help top tier players because figuring out where those those little one percent differences is what matters on the top t- on the top table, right? That that slight advantage is all it takes to win or lose when it comes down to the wire for these top table players.
1: Yeah. And especially cause yeah, top table, if you lose, then often you're dropping off the podium, you know? Yeah, and so you're just exactly. like, ah! yeah. <laughs> so no, we'll take that 1% and it's worth spending the effort to try to figure out how to get that 1% Delta. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yep. No, makes great sense. So cool. This has been absolutely fantastic discussion um you got any other thoughts uh for wrapping up for our audience for for doug and me as we're trying to level up here
2: <laughs> no i mean i think we've covered just about most of the stuff i mean there's definitely a lot a lot more ways we go deeper into this topic conversation but i think we're already at two hours on this i uh, not quite
0: there we're not quite there, but this
1: has been a monstrously long one. And so to all of our listeners, thanks so much for sticking with us. If you got other questions for, for, uh, for Brian, please, please drop by our discord and we would be happy to chat with you. Um, Thank you. Oh my gosh, so much. This has been an amazing discussion. Uh, I have loved it, man. I'm hoping our listeners do if our listeners turned out, well, they're, they're missing out, you know? So anyways, thank you so much, Brian. Appreciate your time this evening.
0: Before we go though,
1: yeah, because
0: we've done so much talking about decks tonight. I feel it's very important to mention that we, we brought it up earlier. So, Tom, to plug things, I'm going to, you know, shamelessly plug Texas shit right now. So, tickets are now available for the Lone Star Fodown Down GT taking place October 13th through the 15th in Houston, Texas. If you register before August 25th, you will get a custom-designed fate deck made especially for the Lone Star
2: Fodown. It looks awesome, by the way.
0: And it I does. guarantee that the average card in every single deck is exactly seven.
1: Sweet, sweet, but it's a cool-looking seven. So that's oh, even better.
0: It's an awesome-looking seven. It's the best seven. every single one of those decks is going to flip. In a statistically relevant manner.
2: There you go. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Although I can't use it because I can't have good deck heat with a with a normal deck.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You got you. You got to use your uh, triple red uh, deck.
2: Yeah, I've got two reds, no blacks. There you go. <laughs> but
0: yeah, so uh, information on that, you know, it's in the show notes. star dot com slash events. Check it out. Uh gonna be a great turnout i'm excited yeah, it's gonna be great
1: uh again brian thank you so very much and it's
0: uh, been fun yeah thank you so much brian this is this is this kind that kind of big brain topic that you know a i don't want to talk about all the time because my brain hurts now
2: yeah <laughs> uh and and if anyone wants to ask questions or have me clarify on my thoughts on anything, feel free to post in the episode on the discord. And I will gladly get back to you on uh, more in depth thoughts. Cause I'm, I know we bounce all over the place on everything. Uh, Cause it's, it's a lot of content. Um, and I don't mind deep diving. This is probably one of my favorite topics to talk about.
0: Yeah. Oh, and if you ever need to get a hold of Brian anytime, day or night, his phone number is eight six seven five three
2: zero nine. I will change my number today. Yeah,
0: I got the number. I got the number on the wall.
1: <laughs> Sweet. All right. Seriously. Thanks again.
2: Thank you. And farewell. Thank you. Have a good
0: one. Stupid. Students of Conflict is brought to you by Top Doug Design. Check out topdogdesign.com for all of your Malfo terrain needs. Top Doug Design 3D printable designs to enhance your tabletop. Students of Conflict is not an official product of Weird Miniatures LLC. All intellectual property belonging to Weird Miniatures is used with permission. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of entities they represent. Any content provided by our guests and or hosts are their opinion and not intended to any group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Woo! I enjoy wine, though. But yeah, not as All much right. as I like scotch. We are recording, it looks like. Yes, <laughs> so I hit the button and then we just kept talking because you know what? Wee!